tree emoji, you know, that, that's, that's what you get. Oh, a little. If, uh, if, on the other hand, you know, you get a teddy bear, that might mean something, or if they buy you a book, depending on what the book is on, that, that's, that's something that will, will require some interpretation. We're, we're a little bit high here, buddy. Could you, something's like ringing in my ear. Um, 
but and then on the other hand, if it's if it's a piece of fine jewelry or a, a diamond ring, you know what that means. So you know, gifts are are a great way. All, all the gifts we give are, are one of the ways we kind of define the nature of the relationship that we have with another person. And, uh, and, and gifts are the, these tools that God gives us to bond with one another. And also gifts are a way that we, you know, our uh, thing that we do that connects us to people. And the interesting thing I've, I've found about relationship or about, about giving is when you give to somebody, the giver is bonded to the recipient. Because when you give to somebody, you know, those of you who are parents, you've, you've experienced this, you, you give to someone and, and you're investing in that person. And the more you invest in a person, the more you invest in a relationship, whether it's your child or a friend or, or a family member or an acquaintance, the more you start to care about that person. And hopefully that feeling of care is reciprocated, right? And they care about you as much as you care about them, but not necessarily. Sometimes what happens is we invest heavily in a relationship, we commit a lot to a relationship, and the other person doesn't really share that commitment or share that value of their relationship. And so, so as you continue to give, you, like, you, you think to yourself, well, if I give more and more and more, then this person will really come to the place where they really care about me. But sometimes, it doesn't happen that way, and because you're giving, you're feeling more and more bonded to that person, but, but because they're not reciprocating the feeling or reciprocating the giving, they feel nothing towards you. They're just, just happy to, to accept whatever you're sending their way. And so sometimes it's a surprise, and, and it shows us the limits of giving when the recipient doesn't really care but just takes us for granted. So you got to be careful in our giving. We all have to be careful in the way we give to others to make sure that the bond and the commitment to one another is mutual. But in the Christian life, giving is essential, but giving is essential because a Christian by definition, according to the New Testament, a follower of Christ by definition is not somebody who's given a certain sacrifice or made a certain made a certain offering, but a, a Christian, by definition, is somebody who has received a gift. Our status, our identity is defined not by what we have offered to God, but what He has offered to us. And you can't become a Christian unless you can be a gracious recipient of the gifts that God has offered you. Romans 6.23 puts it this way. This might be a familiar verse to some of you. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he's saying there is unless what God has to offer us is a gift, and unless you are the kind of person who can receive a gift from God, who can humble yourself to accept a gift, you can't have what God has to offer you because it's only available to those who will receive a gift. Another familiar verse to some of you might be John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. What do we celebrate at Christmas? What is the reason we, we uh, give gifts at Christmas? Because it's a symbol of the fact that God loved the world and gave his Son for us. And Christian status is not defined by what we've personally accomplished or what we've achieved, or what we've earned, or what we've sacrificed to God, but by what God has given to us. 
And our job is simply to accept the generosity of God towards us. And what the Bible says is that Christians ought to be the most generous people in the world because our status, because we've experienced and received the generosity of God towards us. If that's real to you, if that's vital to you, if that's actually in your experience, then you will be among the most generous people. That's what, that's what God's word tells us. And so I want to look at this model of giving here that, that made an impression on Jesus and the disciples. You know, they're, they're in Jerusalem for the Passover. It's one of the high holy days. And so people are coming from all over the, the diaspora of the, of the people of God is coming from all over the world, really, back to Jerusalem, and they're making their offerings at the temple. And, and, and this was probably quite a spectacle at the time, because remember, they didn't have checks. You couldn't just write a check and, and put it in a slot, and they didn't even have paper money. So all they had were coins of different denominations that, that you would bring to the treasury. And so, I mean, just imagine if you wanted to make a, a generous gift of a couple thousand dollars and you had to make it in quarters, you know? That would be a lot of buckets that you were bringing to the offering. And, but that's what was going on with the wealthy individuals. They were coming, they were bringing their, bringing their offering, and it would be bags and bags of coins, bags and bags of gold. But then there's this, this, this one widow lady that shows up, and she gets in line with everybody else, but all she has to offer is two small copper coins. And Jesus says that she's the model of giving. She's a model of generosity for all of us. All of us can learn from her what it means to give to the work of God, what it means to give back to God. I mean, imagine being this, this poor widow lady for a moment here. I mean, at one level, it must have been somewhat humiliating when there's, there's all these high rollers coming in with their bags of gold, and she's just got a couple of pennies. And yet, she gets online with everybody else because she's going to do her duty, and she's going to pay her respects just like everybody else. But she's not proud about it. She has to be humble that, that all she has to give is these two coins. But she does it at the same time. She's, she, she gives even though she's humbled by it. And she need, she, she's got to know that she's giving something that costs a lot to her, but it's not really going to move the needle in the temple budget. But she wants to participate because it's not really about the temple budget for her. It's all about her being faithful to God and paying her respects to the work of God. And it was sacrificial for her. It says it was all she had to live on. Maybe that was her lunch money for that day. And she decided, well, I have a choice. I can make this offering or I can skip lunch. And I'm going to have to skip lunch today because I'm going to make this offering. But it was a sacrifice to her. You know, it's possible for some people in some situations to be able to give a lot, but it's not really a sacrifice. But for her, it was a sacrifice. Our faith is based on the sacrifice of God for us, and so God calls us to be willing to give sacrificially to him. But the thing that strikes me most about this lady is how bold that she was. I mean, I, I would have been tempted if I was in her, her shoes to say, you know, why should I bother? My, you know, my little bit of money isn't going to make that much of a difference. And, 
and it's kind of kind of humiliating to get get online with everybody else and give your offering when you barely have ever, anything to give when everyone else is bringing has their servants bringing bags and bags of gold to the temple treasury but she says I'm a child of God like everyone else. I'm going to participate like everyone else. I'm committed to this like everyone else. And I have, and it's important for me to be in this like everyone else. So she has this boldness to her, I think, that's just impressive that she steps up with everybody else and gives what she has to give. You know, she's a model, I think, for all of us. She's a model to us when we're struggling that, that, uh, even when you're struggling, you should try to still be a giver to the extent that you're able to. Even when times are hard, to still offer something to the extent that you can, because that's a step of faith. That's a step of saying that, well, I'm struggling right now, but still God is going to provide. Still I'm believing that God is going to work things out. But at the same time, I think she's a model to everybody, regardless of where you are on the spectrum of how we should give. One of the things we can learn from her is she's a model of humility because she knew that her gift wasn't going to make a big difference, but she knew at the same time that it was important for her to give it because it made a big difference to her and to her life. In, in Psalm 50, the psalmist puts it this way, the Lord says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it is mine. One of the things the Bible tells us is that God doesn't need our generosity. God doesn't need our sacrifice. God doesn't need our service. God doesn't need our work. God doesn't even need our money. But he invites us to participate in his work. He invites us to invest in his work. He invites us to partner with him in his work, not because he needs us, but because we need him. And as we serve, as we sacrifice, as we give, we experience his power and his presence and our ownership in the world and, and in his work. And so regardless of where we are on the spectrum, we got to keep in mind that God doesn't need us, but we give because we need him and because we are recipients of his gracious gifts. And the, another thing that she has in mind that I think anybody who has perspective on the world has in mind is that whatever we give, it's not enough. Whatever we give, we really ought to be able to give more. And one of the inspiring examples of this to me is, is, uh, is Bill Gates. You know, his foundation right now is giving away more than $2 billion a year, which I, I don't even know. I can't count that high, but I, I hear that's a lot of money. Um, but but he, he did a little report on it, and he said, you know, my, my big focus is I think that children shouldn't die before they're five, and that every kid should have a chance to get a good education. So we're looking at the most basic things around health and education. And then he goes on to say, if you benchmark our progress against the goals that we have set for this world, we're nowhere near improving fast enough. So Bill Gates is giving away $2 billion a year, and he's saying, you know, it's not enough. I'm frustrated because there's still little kids who are dying unnecessarily. There's still kids who are growing up without a decent education because even with the money I'm giving away, we can't make the changes that need to be made, made fast enough. 
And, so, and I think what happens when you are generous and if you really engage in the needs of the world, you engage in the needs of, of those around you, you realize no matter how generous you're able to be, no matter how spectacular your gifts might be from, from one perspective and another perspective, you have the sense that, gee, I wish I could do more. I wish, I wish there was a way we could make a, a bigger impact. And so even in our giving, if you're giving out of generosity, rather than it making us proud or making us uh, self-righteous, it's something that is humbling to all of us because we, we get a bigger perspective of the needs of the world around us. And sometimes in our generosity, we're too aware of our limits. So in all that, this, this widow lady, I, I think, is, is one of the most inspiring examples of what generosity, what gospel generosity ought to be for all of us because of her faith, because of her sacrifice, because of her humility, and at the same time, her boldness that she's going to give what she has to give for the work of God. So she's a model of, of giving, but then I think there's also a model of receiving there. There's very wealthy people who are showing up at the treasury with their bags of gold, probably having uh, assistants or, or servants with them, an entourage with them that's carrying all their bags of quarters that they're dropping off at the, at, at the treasury. And they're not so much commended for their generosity, but they're not condemned either. Jesus, they're, they're acting as stewards of what God has entrusted him. God, the Bible says that, that essentially for those who are wealthy, who are followers of Christ, they're fiduciaries. God entrusts you with what he's entrusted you with, but then you're ultimately responsible before him of how you use what he has entrusted to you. From Jesus' perspective, he says they're able to give because God has given them so much. Look, look at what he says. He says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. These people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live in. So so other people, I mean, you can just imagine the way, the way we, we humans are. Other people are like, wow, look at all the bags of gold that that guy's dropping off at the treasury. But, but Jesus says, you know, they've got a lot more where that came from. They're not even sacrificing to give what they're giving. So, so it's really not that, that big a deal because they're just giving a small portion back of what God gave them. And that's an awareness that all of us should have when we feel blessed, when we are operating out of abundance, that God has given us everything we have. And when we give, we're just giving back a small portion of what he's given us. My favorite story in this regard is the story of King David. You remember the story of David. He's the guy who killed Goliath. And then he went on to be the king that kind of founded Jerusalem, founded the nation of Israel, and established the nation of Israel as the one world superpower in his day. And so he was a tremendously wealthy man. And if you know the story of his life, toward the end of his life, after he was done with the killing, after he was done with the conquering, he kind of settled down. He mellowed out a little bit. And he said, now what I'd like to do is I'd like to build a, a temple for God. Remember that? So he says he's going to build a temple for God, and his spiritual advisor is, is Nathan. Not our Nathan, but a different Nathan. Um, and and, and his, his, uh, his prophet Nathan says, okay, let me just uh, check, check with God about this. And the next day, Nathan comes back to him and says, David, I'm sorry to say I met with God, and God said, you're not the one to build the temple. Your son is going to build the temple. 
You remember that? And so David says, okay, I'll, I'll accept that. That's God's direction for my life. And it sounded like it was going to be a lot of work anyway. <laughs> and so, uh, so, so David just goes off into his retirement. But, but in his retirement, he, he decides to, to use all of his leverage to raise as much, it wasn't money, to, to gather as many materials as he could for the temple. And so he spends the last years of his life consolidating his own wealth and, de and designating all of his own wealth to the temple and then going around and, and, uh, and collecting wealth from other people the way, you know, in the gentle ways that, that kings of the world did that back then. So, um, so he gets to the end of his life and there's a big pile of stuff. And, and, and you can read about this in Chronicles 29. There are literally tons and tons of gold, tons and tons of silver. There's slabs and slabs of marble. And there's, there's piles and piles of precious stones. And, and in, in Chronicles 29, he does a dedication of all of this wealth that he's accumulated that Solomon is going to be able to use to build the temple. And, and there, there's a, a profound note in his prayer. He says, you have this verse, verse up there, good. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from our hand, from, from your hand. So David is a model for every generous giver. He's a model for every one of us when we're in a place where we're blessed and we're able to give generously. It's humbling to be able to give generously because everything we have comes from him, and we're only giving him what has come from his hand. And... And that's the perspective that all of us should have if, you, if you, you are coming before God, if you're offering up your offerings to God, is you're only returning to God a small portion of what he's given you. And like I said, God makes us fiduciaries of whatever he's entrusted us, and then he expects us to be good stewards of that and to, and to use what he's entrusted us in ways that will honor him and will glorify him. You know, this is important to keep in mind because in America, we, we celebrate individual achievement. You know, it's, it, America's, the paradigm of the successful individual in America is the self-made man. And as someone has said, the problem with the self-made man or woman is that they tend to give all the credit to their perceived maker. But what, if you think about it for a second, the reality is that none of us are actually self-made. It's just that some of us are lucky and some of us are unlucky. You know, if you're born in America and happen to be in Amer America and not a Kurd in northern Syria right now, you have opportunities that a lot of people don't have. You know, I often, when I'm watching the TV news or, or you, you read these stories about refugees who are on the move and you see the, these, these kids who are being displaced and, and the challenges that people are, are facing, I, I say, I often wonder myself, I wonder how many of these people would be brilliant if they actually had the opportunity to go to school. How many of these men could be great businessmen if they actually lived in a place where there was an economy? How many of these people could accomplish great things if they actually were in a, in a situation where there was enough order and enough uh, enough structure that they could actually work with something, where they, where they could actually make a contribution. 
And on the other hand, if we were there, we'd be carrying our worldly belongings on our back and making a long walk and just hoping we didn't get shot. But we're just very fortunate to be right here, right now. And then just even to have the health and strength that you have. I've had friends and people I've worked with who would have had good careers, but they were just debilitated by chronic illnesses and couldn't, couldn't work for extended periods and it just disrupted, disrupted their career track and made things very difficult for them. Just, just to have the health and strength that you can go to work is a blessing. Every day you have the strength to get out of bed and go to work is a gift from God. And even the abilities and talents that you have. I mean, a lot of you people are a little bit smarter than average, or some of you are somewhat smarter than average. And, uh, you know, sometimes we tend to take, we tend to think that's just who, we, who you are. But no, the Bible says that's a gift. Your brains, your talent, your abilities are a gift. And that's not something that you chose. That's not something you earned. That's a gift that was given to you. And, and the fact that you lived in a country where, where you could develop those gifts by getting a good education and where those gifts were re rewarded in remunerative careers is just luck. So we're all, if, if we do make it in this life, if we do make it in this world, if we do make it in this nation, it's not because we're self-made, it's because we're lucky. Or, well, I don't really believe in luck. As someone said, I'm not lucky, I'm blessed. These are gifts that God gives to us. These are blessings God gives to us. And, and so when we do find ourselves enjoying prosperity and find ourselves enjoying abundance, we've got to recognize what God wants us to recognize, that all of these things are gifts from him. That, and, and one of the ways we exercise that, one of the ways we show that we recognize that is being willing to give generously of the gifts that we have received. God's blessings come with responsibilities. God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he said, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. When God blesses us, he blesses us in order that we might be a blessing to others. And it's the nature of the blessing of God in our life is that the blessing of God grows as you share it. The blessing of God increases as you give it away. And the blessing of God becomes more real to you as you, as you pass it along to others. And so all of us, to the extent that we've blessed, been blessed and in the ways that we've been blessed, we're called to be a blessing to other people. And so all of us need to take inventory of the blessings that we have in life and then ask ourselves, how is it that we can share and show that blessing to those around us? Because the blessing of God in your life, it only grows as you give it away. It only grows as, as, you, as you share it. So in Jesus' story, from my perspective, the wealthy donors who are bringing their bags of gold to the temple treasury, they're models of recipients. They're self-aware of the blessings that God has given them, and then they're willing to, to exercise that awareness by giving generously to the, work, to, the work, to the work of the temple. They're giving out of their wealth, as Jesus says. They're returning a large portion of what God has given them to the work of God. 
And, you know, the wealthy givers were important to the, the temple. You know, they're important materially to the temple budget because the temple wouldn't be able to, to function without people who had resources who were supporting it. But it's also important, it's more important personally to people because the way you show that really you're not defined by money is being willing to sacrificially give away money, to give away money in, in such significant portions that it alters your standard of living and keeps you from getting things that maybe otherwise you'd be able to, to get if you had decided you wanted to. Because So one of the ways you show you're living by faith, you know, everyone talks about living by faith or having faith, but one of the ways you show you're living by faith and exercise the reality of living by faith is by being willing to be generous with what you have in, in this world. You know, there's an irony in America, and this is where the story of the widow really, really kind of pushes us, but one of the things that, that people recognize when they study charitable giving across the board is something that happens to Americans is the more money we get, the more successful we are, the more prosperous we are, you know what happens? The less we give. And I, it's, it's one of the weirdest, weirdest dynamics, but, but it's something that, that shows up in all the studies of, of charitable giving is, is as people's wealth increases, the percentage of their wealth decreases. And, and the very poorest people in America give three times away, three times as much away as a percentage of their income as, as the wealthiest Americans. And, and so it's, it's, uh, it's, I think it's proof that the widow lives, the widow continues in our midst to show her, her true generosity. You know, what strikes me about this passage is in our lives, it's easy to ignore the poor, but the rich are always, always monopolizing our attention. You know, the other day I was walking down the streets of Jersey City and a guy stopped at a stoplight in a red Ferrari. And I'm a grown man, you know, but, but when, when I see a red Ferrari, it, it makes me stop and look. And then, you know, I noticed he was looking the other way, so I took a picture of his car. <laughs> and I don't know why I did that. A, a, a couple days later, I was looking through the pictures of my phone. I'm like, why did I take that picture? So I, I deleted it. But, but, but there's something, you know, you notice a red Ferrari. Everybody notices a red Ferrari on, on the streets of the city. You know what we don't notice? We don't notice the guy who's walking down the streets of the city or waiting at the bus stop who's never had the opportunity to get a driver's license and can't even imagine having enough money to, to have a basic car to drive himself around with. We don't notice that guy. That guy's invisible to you and to me. You know, we, we walk through an expensive neighborhood and we notice all these nice fancy homes or you notice these mansions and say, what would it be like to be able to live in one of these great mansions in, in this great location? And, and wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be awesome to have all those rooms and have all that space and to have the four-car garage with, with a couple Ferraris and then some, you know, a Rolls-Royce for your daily driver or whatever it is you, you might have? We notice those things, you know, you notice those fancy neighborhoods, you notice you, know, you notice the, the, those kinds of dynamics, but you know what we don't notice? We don't notice the people who are living three families in one apartment or, or the, the single mother who's living on the couch with her sister because that's the only place that, that she and, and her, her kid can live. We, no, we don't notice those people. Those are invisible to us. 
you know, we go on Instagram and we flip through and our friend is taking a fabulous vacation to Turks and Caicos or the Hawaii or Aspen and we're like, and we notice that and we're like, wow, wouldn't it be great to be able to take a trip like that? And you notice, you notice that people are, some people are able to do all these fabulous things, but you know, we never notice the person who's just uh, working all the time or home all the time because they don't have the resources to go anywhere except just to stay, stay at home. So in our lives, our attention is always captured by wealth and we start to think that everybody lives that way and everybody enjoys all of those blessings, but that's just because we're blind to those who are struggling all around us. But what I like about this story is Jesus sees. Jesus sees. Everybody else who was at the temple would be talking about the rich guy and, and all the buckets of of gold that he dropped off at the treasurer, but Jesus sees the poor widow dropping off her food money for the next day in the temple treasury, and he says, she gave more than all of these others because they just gave a little bit of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything that she has to live in. And so the, G the vision of Jesus is what should control us. And the vision of Jesus is what we should keep in mind. When we feel like we're that poor widow and we don't have much to offer, but we offer what we have, Jesus sees that. And when we're looking at our world and different things capture our attention, we need to make an effort to see the people who Jesus sees and to pay attention to the people who Jesus sees because that's what matters. And finally, let me just close with this. I said, you know, the, the nature of giving is it bonds the giver to the recipient. That's why, you know, when, when, you're, when you're a parent, this, this kid just basically sucks the life out of you for the first four or five years, and the, the kid's not even conscious of who you are or what you are, but, but you're just giving everything. And then so for some reason, you're, you're so in love with this kid, and this kid's just taking everything from you. And, uh, and, but but that, that's the nature of giving at every level in all of our relationships, that the more we give, the more we're bonded to the person we're giving, we're giving to, but, but, but it's not automatic that they're going to be bonded to us in a reciprocal way. But the promise we have and the hope that you and I can have as followers of God is we look at God's generosity to us. We look at God's grace to us. We look at that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we see God's generosity to us and that can be the basis for the ultimate assurance you and I need to get through life that God is committed to us. God has bonded himself to us by his generosity and that can move us to live with confidence, to live with faith, to live with humility, and to live with generosity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the generosity of Jesus that he gave his life for us. I pray that you would help us to live with generosity in this world around us. I thank you for the many gifts you've given us. Help us to show the world that these gifts come from you by giving these gifts back, by returning these gifts back to your work all around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a